Blog Talk Radio. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Welcome to another broadcast night right here on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to the Tony Stalling Show. The Tony Stalling Show is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments heard on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its hosts. And now, get ready for an exciting blockbuster fight the power episode of Tony Stallings. Right here. Right now. Right now. And now, the man himself, Tony Stallings. Tony Stallings.
nothing but rednecks for 400 years if you text. Don't worry, me ask for the number one jam. Damn. damn, if I said you could slap me right, right here. Get it. Let's get this party started right. Right on. Come on. What we got to say. Yeah. Power to the people, no delay. Make everybody see. In order to fight the power that be. Um, we have we have Burgess, our 
myself out here, but I did want to touch on something tonight that was very important to me. And while I got you, while y'all in the clapping mood, give it up for my band, Texas Jockers. But while y'all in the, in the clapping mood, um, I want to give some area code shout out to people that have called in. Uh, it's kind of a slow start tonight. Uh, the, the lines are not damn packed. Um, I guess I, I really didn't advertise this show, but uh, I'm, I'm still kind of, I'm still just a shy country boy, you know? And, uh, well, anyway, but anyway, uh, I am in the soul of the Mac Radio Studios. I am overlooking the beautiful city of Birmingham, and it seems to be a beautiful city tonight. And let's go ahead and start with the area code shout out so we can get this show to roll in. Um, all right, we got in our house. Like I said, we got 506, we got 251, that's no deal, uh, 256, 334, uh, 319, and 814-234-864-616-773-830-509-619-5-something. Uh, Glasses 423-386-574-307 and a partridge in a pear tree. So thank you all for joining me tonight. And uh, let's go ahead and get to this day. I really had to talk myself into doing this show. Um, we are, you know, this thing about the killing of Michael Brown today, I had a rude awakening. And uh, the rude awakening was when I when I when I got on Facebook. How much longer I got on my intro? Okay. What thirty thirty seconds? Okay, screw it. Don't worry about it. Just let it fade out. Um, on my um, on my on my um, <laughs> on my Facebook page, I noticed that um, I, when I opened it up, there was this picture of Michael Brown's father. And I wish I could show it to you now. I, I really wish I could show it to you. Um, it, I, I guess I'm, a, I'm sort of a sensitive guy, I guess. Uh, but I, 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 started, I started crying. I, I started, I'm not going to even say I teared up. I, I actually cried um, because, man, seeing that emotion on his face, of four kids kind of gets to me now thinking about it I can't imagine what it's like to bury your child and uh, so when I saw his his face and any of you that's that's friends with mine on Facebook can just go to my page I, I posted it or you can probably google uh, Michael Brown's funeral and uh but the the picture the 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 anguish the 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 gut wrenching pain he felt man it's all in that picture and uh even when I talk about it I I kind of get a little you know a little uh caught up over it so I'm not going to continue to talk about it because I've got four kids, man, and as a father, watching that, uh, watching his emotions just 
tore me up. And so um, I said all that to say that uh, when I saw that, um, I knew that I had to go forward with the show because I was pretty much I was done with Ferguson, and, and, and I still am. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's like everything else. You know, uh, Trayvon Martin was hot for a while, then he went away. Uh, Eric Garner was hot for a while, then he went away. Uh, Oscar Grant uh, was hot for a while, then he went away. And they always go away because people are fickle. People want to just move on with their lives, and it's a hot thing for a moment, and then it's moved on. But the family, they're left there by the coffin. They're left there watching their son be put in the ground at 18 years of age. So it's real for them. It's far more real for them than it is for me or you, right? So I thought I'd lay that on you, let you uh, get a feel of that. I, I'm I'm going to try hard to move through the show without that thought. Tonight, uh, you know what, that's a shame. I don't even know the title of the show. I do know this. Um, huh? Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It, thank God for wonderful staff. Okay. All right. Uh, tonight's show... I looked at it from a different perspective, and I entitled it Police Killings and Black Males, Racial or Race Card. And let me just explain that right quick. The reason I chose that title is because it depends on who you're talking to. The association of police killing unarmed black males, of police committing violence on young black males, depending on who you're talking to, it could be either racial, it can be said that we're pulling the race card. That's the 2014 version of white people saying, uh, people that are, not, that are not of color saying, don't mention race, that's over, we've done that. We're sorry about that slavery thing, so move on with your life. Don't pull that card out on me, please. You know, that's the race card, and I, I can't stand that. Uh, but anyway, I want, that's a whole other show. Police killings and black males, racial or the race card. So let's get into this thing. Let, let, let's find out why I summoned you here <laughs> to my humble abode. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I, I used to have a cough button. I don't have a cough button anymore. What? Where is this? Okay. All right. Thanks. Let me, let me try it out. Y'all didn't hear that, right? <laughs> Okay, great. All right, great. Okay, um, now I'm going to say this before I get into the show. I am, uh, for some reason, I'm using an Internet connection to broadcast to you, and uh, it is extremely fickle, it's extremely slow. So I'm praying that this will stay together. If not, we'll just get together and do it another time. No big deal. So for those of you just joining us, I, I see we do have a few more people that have joined in. We're discussing police violence and black males, and we're asking ourselves, is it racial or is it a race card? Interesting, because like I said, depending on who you talk to, you get a different viewpoint. Trayvon Martin was split right down the middle. Any of you that's listening to me know 
that if you ask, I'm just going to say it, if, if, if I offend any of my listeners, I have white listeners, I have black listeners, I have listeners in other countries, apparently, from, from the correspondence. This is not personal, okay? This is nothing personal. It is just my opinion, uh, not the opinion of the radio station, Soul of America Radio. It's not the opinion of Blog Talk Radio. It's Tony Stallings' opinion. And um, I'm president, founder, but I have my own personal opinions outside of the business of Soul of America Radio, okay? So um, with that being said, don't send me no emails and all this. Uh, don't, don't write me and tell me. Uh, I've gotten hate mail up here within the last week when I did that other show. I've gotten, I've been called the, the N-word. Uh, I've been sent all kind of hate mail. Uh, but I pray. Uh, I ask God to just remove it and uh, from my mind and thoughts, and I just move forward. Um, you know, as you know, when we did, and I'm straying a little bit, but I had to say this. When we did the show, the first show regarding Ferguson, Cam and I did a show. Cam, Cam I am, and I uh, did a show, and we got a person to call up and said they killed him because he was a filthy N-word. And uh, that just, I invited him to call back uh, because I want I want you to hear this, this diversity of racial hate. So, I posted, if you saw my promo for the show on Facebook, you noticed a police officer with a gun, a dark scene, police officer with shades. That was actually me. I I took that picture, and I took a picture of my gun and my badge, and I superimposed them together. And I was a Birmingham police officer. And I know what a cop feels like. I know what a cop thinks like. I know what a cop is capable of. Um, I, I, I know the, the mentality behind being a police officer. I've been there. I rode the streets, carried the badge, carried the gun. And uh, I want to speak to you somewhat from that perspective tonight. I, I hardly ever talk about that. I really don't talk about that part of my life. But um, I want to share with you some of it um, to give you a better mindset of how I'm looking at this this police violence and to to give it some sort of a balance, you know, uh, I I um, had come across lots of situations in the years I was a police officer. I, I came across a lot of, um, and some of you listening may be in law enforcement, I, and you know this to be true, I, I came across a lot of situations that required split thinking, I mean, just on-the-spot decisions. And um, it was do or die. And I can remember when I would put my boots on in the morning my, my to get ready to go to work, I would honestly say a prayer and I would ask God to please let me be the one to pull my boots off, meaning I didn't want an ER doctor to pull my boots off. 
I didn't want a, a coroner to pull my boots off. I wanted to pull them off. I wanted to go home every afternoon. I wanted to leave and go to the house. And so every day when I would pull in from a, a, a day of work, I would thank God that I made it home. And a lot of you go to jobs where it's not that big of a deal. But I thanked God every day that I made it home when I uh, was a police officer. With that being said, and, and I don't want to get too far myself uh, ahead of myself, um, police have uh, a setup sort of like any, any other job. You, you go to your, your job, you might work at Bell South, you might work at, uh, I don't know, Golden Flake, I don't know, uh, you, I don't know, whatever you do. And you've got in a job, and then you've got people that really don't want to be there, and then you've got people that love it and would go the extra mile to do their job a certain way. And then in any workplace, you have the the opportunity for people to exercise less than perfect judgment. Is that fair? It's a fair statement. So being a police officer, not only did you fear getting home, but at some point you had to face things that other people would run away from. Uh, so if you hear gunshots as a citizen, if you're at your on your front porch and you hear gunshots, you tend to move away from it. That that's that's the reasonable thing to do. That that's the logical thing to do. But when I became a police officer, when I was trained as a cop, you're trained to run toward it. And without instinct, just by instinct, it takes over. You you unholster your weapon and you step into it, not really knowing what you're stepping into. And these people that came across Rodney, Rodney King in 1992, I believe, 1991, five police officers beat the hell out of him. It was horrific. But guess what? It happened all the time. Somebody filmed the beating of Rodney King. And I'm sure these five officers that morning didn't all plan to go find a large Negro and and beat him up. But a set of circumstantial events took place that allowed all of them to meet there, and there was fate. Bam, there it was. Five police officers, one black male, unarmed. And they beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him. The riots that came after the beating of Rodney King to 53 deaths, 
some of them at the hands of police officers. People began to say, oh, my God, we got something going on. But I, I submit to you that it had been going on for years. Okay? And, you know, cameras weren't that popular back in those days in the early 90s. Everybody didn't carry a camera. See, people didn't have that luxury of carrying a camera everywhere they went. So the shooting, the beatings and the stuff 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they went on, man. It's no different. They went on. They did it. These gentlemen were acquitted that beat Rodney King. They, they didn't pay for what they did to Rodney King. Not criminally. <laughs> Thus, we had the riots. Oscar Grant. Footage. He was being restrained by BART transit officers on the train. Unarmed and lying on the platform, he was shot to death. By a police officer. Unarmed. By the way, five unarmed black males have been killed by police officers within the last year alone. They've taken unarmed dead people into custody. In July, and we all know about this, Staten Island, resident Eric Garner, they suspected him of, get this, selling untaxed cigarettes and put him in a chokehold. He kept screaming, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. But he had a problem. Problem was, I'm going to say it, cover your little ears if you're sensitive. He had a problem. He was a black male. That was the problem. He died. Michael Brown. And a and, and matter of fact, two weeks after, less than two weeks after Michael Brown's uh, situation in St. Louis, they got a, a call regarding an alleged robbery at a convenience store. And when they got there, footage actually showed somebody saying, shoot me now, shoot me now, shoot me now, shoot me now. Officers said he had a knife. Within 15 seconds of arriving on the scene, the man was dead. And so these are some of the examples of the force employed by police officers across the uh, uh, the country, and uh, and they're constrained. We we are feeling to shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. Actually, is shoot to stop. That's what we were trained to do. Shoot to stop. You know. Now that I've painted that picture out for you, does it really have to be that way? And then depending on who you ask, you can ask a white person. They'll say Trayvon Martin was a thug, that he deserved to be killed. 
you go up in the hood, he's a hero. He's a martyr. Depending on who you ask. So tonight we're going to talk about it. Is it racial? We pull in the race car, and what's up with these police? We don't know, do we? Eric code 770, I see you. And after the break, I really, I really don't take calls, but I'm going to take this one. After the break, I'm going to come back and uh, get a quick call in, and I'm going to continue with my dissertation. You're listening to Tony Stallings on the Soul of America Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Hello, I'm Captain, and I'm fighting the power. On the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Tony Stalins on Soul.
Earth, wind, and fire. Sure can't pass the time when a brother got something to do. Earth, wind, and fire. I do not know the name of that. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. Welcome back to the Tony Stalling Show. And um, I'm, wait a minute. Look at, I'm, I'll be sitting here trying to figure that song out. Welcome back to the Tony Stalling Show. Tonight we're talking about police intervention, police violence. And the title of tonight's show is Police Killings and Black Males. Is it racial or is it a race card? And as we were saying earlier, it depends on who you talk to, right? If you talk to somebody in the hood, then they tell you, well, it's, you know, Trayvon Martin was a hero. If you talk to somebody in a outer area that tends to not be of color, they'll say Trayvon Martin was a thug. If you talk to somebody regarding Michael Johnson, uh, they will say, Michael Brown, I'm sorry, they will say he is a armed robber and a thug. But if you talk to the other people, they'll say, well, you know, he, he, you know, he, he was an unarmed black male that got shot. So with that being said, also the, the mindset of the police, uh, like I was sharing with you earlier, um, I, I, was a, I was a Birmingham police officer myself, and I did understand the mentality of it. And at sometimes, though, you've got to ask yourself, is it going too far? With Michael Brown, could they have done something else? With uh, Rodney King, with Oscar Grant, with, and it's not just black males, but with Eric Garner, could they have done something else? Is there something else they could have done other than shot him dead in the street, right? Well, uh, we're going to go to the phones and take a couple of calls and see what we can get to on this. Um Welcome to the Soul of America Radio, and Sarge, is that right? Yes, sir, it is. How Welcome are you, to the show. Thank you for I'm, taking I'm, my call. No no problem, no problem, Sarge. And uh, so what do you think? I mean, the, the question tonight is, and, and I guess I'm putting out there now, is we're finding out that predominantly uh, black males unarmed are being shot in the streets. And what what else is there another way we can handle this? Uh, you have some law enforcement background, correct? Yeah, twenty eight years retired Illinois State Policeman. Wow. Uh, I, I just I can say this, sir. Uh, my experience. I'm a black man. Happy to be a black man. I like the cultural milieu in which I was raised. But I tell you about one of my experiences as a police officer with an quote unarmed black man unquote. Now, I'm in the street uh, in downtown Chicago, right near the Thompson Center on, on uh, Dearborn Street. And, uh, you know, I'm there in uniform, and a lady comes up and tugs on my sleeve and says, Officer, uh, you see that man standing over there? She points at this guy. He's got a hopping back and forth on one foot the other. He stole my purse four days ago. And I, and I asked the man, lady, says, I pointed at him, is that the gentleman? She said, yes. And I told him, uh, he looked at me, and he saw I knew I was looking at him. So I said, uh, Sir, stop. Come here a minute. I want to talk to you. He immediately turned around and started running. So I naturally gave pursuit. Chased him down to a parking garage. And I'm very familiar with this parking garage. There's only two exits in this parking garage. I chased him down to the lower level of the parking garage. The doors are very loud when they open and close. I was right behind him. I didn't hear the doors open and close, but I didn't see the guy. So I knew he was hiding under one of the cars. Now remember, I can't see his hands. I can't see him. As far as I know, he's a fleeing felon. 
And I don't know where these arms are now. I can't see the guy. So naturally, I'm taking out Mr. 9mm. And I'm looking under cars for this guy. And there I see his feet. And I order him out from under the car. I tell him, you know, come out on the car slowly. Catch your hands up when you do. He starts to comply. He comes out from under the car. I see his hands. I tell him to raise him high over his head. He'll raise him like halfway, like his thumbs are level with his ears. And he said, man, I ain't did nothing. I said, stop, turn around, keep your hands up, then go to your knees. He doesn't stop. He keeps walking at me saying, man, I ain't did nothing. What you messing with me for? And I'm telling him to stop. Now, I got Mr. Nine Millimeter dead center pointed at his chest. And he's closing me from about maybe five yards away, and he's steady closing. And I'm telling him not to move, keep his hand, turn, you know, stop moving, turn around. Get, and he's not. He's coming at me. Now, I got to make a decision. And you know how you talk about split-second decisions? I got to make one now. What am I going to do? Got my gun on him. He's not complying with my orders. So I'll take a look at him. I'm pretty good with my hands, and I've got a lot of training hand-to-hand, Army, police, and plus I used to box. I said, okay, I think I can take this guy. He's about my size. We can go hand-to-hand. So I host him, Mr. 9mm, and we go at it, hand-to-hand. I prevail. I get him down. I had to rub him up a bit, but I got him. Uh, I, you know, I searched him. He had a pocket knife on him. It wasn't that big, but, I mean, he could have done some damage. But he didn't have it in his hands. He didn't try to use it on me. When I got him back to the station, I asked him, I said, look, man, look, now I'm going to charge you with resisting arrest, battery to a police officer, a peace officer, uh, you know, uh, all the other charges I had on him. You know, I said, I'm going to charge him. And then, you know, we're going to range in the lineup for him so this woman can identify him, late, <clears throat> identify him later. But I said, look, I got to know. I was going to pull, drop the hammer on you, and I need to know, why didn't you do what I said? Now, if you're going to try to jump me and take my gun, I want you to tell me. Because I ain't going to charge you with attempted disarming of a peace officer. I promise you that. I just need to know for my peace of mind. And he looked at me, and he said, well, man, I won't go do nothing to you, but you know I'm a three-striker, and I'm going to go away for 30 years. And that's what his rationale, he said, he admitted, right. he was going to try to take my gun from me. Unarmed right. black man. Now, no telling what he would have done had he been able to. Right. But this is the kind of thing police officers got to do. And this is a lot of things people don't understand when they talk about unarmed black men. Unarmed black men, just like unarmed Trayvon Martin, same thing. Same thing. Just because you're unarmed didn't mean the officer was not in legitimate fear of death or serious bodily harm at your hands. There are More people are killed with blunt objects, fists, bats, you know the UCR stats, than are killed with assault rifles every year. Hammers, fists. Bats. More people are murdered by those instrumentalities every year than with assault rifles every year in the United States. And right. police officers have to make decisions, just like this officer in Ferguson did. He'd already right. received an injury from this enormous kid. It looks increasingly like, and I haven't made a final judgment on it yet. All the facts aren't in. You've got contradictory stories from witnesses, and it looks like the initial witnesses were either lying or mistaken, because none of the shots hit this kid in the back. They all entered from the front except one that entered the top of the skull, which could have come when he was charging the officer. So, again, I haven't made a final decision. I don't know. But that officer, I'm sure, had to make a decision on the split-second circumstances, just like I did, just like hundreds of officers have to make every day thousands, tens of thousands, and millions of arrests every day in the United States, millions. And law, 
sworn statutory officers, statutory probable arrest, sworn peace officers, kill maybe slightly less than 100 black men every year, despite the fact they arrest tens of thousands of them for violent offenses every year. And almost all of them are ruled justifiable. So, right. I mean, you know, I'm getting a little tired of this demagoguery, this racial divisiveness, and making up stuff when the facts don't fit the narrative. That the 400 years of oppression, pro-black men in the South, police formed in the South, kept slaves run away, narratives. It's got nothing to do with the facts at hand. Do you, um, do you think that this police violence, as they call it, and brutality, do you think that exists? Do you think I know it does. I've seen it. I've seen it. Okay. I know it. So, I know it exists. I've seen it. So, but so let, you, let me explain to you. The, the worst ahead, beating I ever saw. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, no, I was listening. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. The worst, the worst beating, beating I ever saw. Worst beating you ever saw. Yeah, I ever saw. It came as a result of a pursuit. I had, a, I got in a pursuit, and I, I know I was in, I was going through, I was in Chicago. I was refueling at a uh, state refueling facility, and uh, as I was coming out of the facility, I almost got rammed by a, a car entering the expressway. And so I put on my lights and siren to get in a pullover, and they didn't. And I got in a pursuit. I was chasing way out in the suburbs. And I called on Illinois State Police Emergency Radio Network for backup, and I got backup from CPD. And they came in, Chicago Police Department, they came in and, uh, and, and assisted me in the pursuit. They got him in a rolling roadblock, got him pulled over. Everybody's yelling at the guy, I'm going to come out of the car with his hands up, got the lights on in there, with the car, and he's not coming out. They're steady yelling to come out. So these cops eventually lost patience. <laughs> no, it wasn't a good idea, but these Chicago cops, they get mad sometimes. They went over to the car opened the car door, yanked him still belted in the seat. They, he was in a van. They ripped the seat out of the floor, threw this guy on the shoulder of the expressway and started kicking and stomping him. I mean, they kicked this guy and stomped this guy and kicked this guy and stomped this guy. And me and my partner, we looked at each other, they're going to kill this guy. So we went in there and we said, well, I, we think we had enough. And we, you know, kind of <laughs> got the cops off and pulled him back. And lo and behold, he's a blue-haired, blonde-eyed white man. Couldn't mistake him for anything else, even in the dark. Skin is pale as snow. And they beat him, and all the time they're doing, they beat him, say, you don't run from the police, you bam. And they're kicking this guy and beating him. You don't run from the police, bam. And they were mad they, because he was running from the police, not because he's a white man. They're all white cops. And I'm not saying it's right. It was wrong. I wrote a report on it detailing what I had seen, the excessive use of force I'd seen. It went up the chain, and they dealt with it. It got, it kind of got to be a big mess. But, you know, I felt right. I was obligated to do it. Well, let, I mean, you know, me, I, I caught grief over it, but I don't care. But I'm just saying, yeah. you know, this, yeah. this kind of thing happens, and we keep assigning a racial dimension to it almost every time there is some differing racial implications, and taint necessarily so. So, so let, let, let me ask you this, because um, it's an interesting, uh, interesting comment you you said. In, in some lights, I see the same thing because I carry a pistol, a gun, and a badge, and I, I can understand the mentality of you know I, I don't I don't know if you heard the first part of the show. I I, I said that every evening when I got home. Oh, I, I would thank you. God that I know I'm what the you, one. I know where you're coming from. I heard you. Yes, yeah. sir. I, I I know that. I, but let me ask you this, though. 
um, because although I agree with, with everything you're saying, I, I have a question, and I'm sure lots of people would have that same question. It's the when we all, as law enforcement officers, you know you have to make a split decision, uh, a split-second decision, and people can sit back 10 years and say what you should have done. But you got that fraction of a second. That's all you got. And once you make that decision, you got to live with it. But let me ask you this. Uh, most of the, the, I like within the last year, there have been five unarmed black men killed by police officers. And I know you say that it really doesn't. Ha- it really isn't about the race, in, in your opinion. It, it's the fact that um, the, these officers felt ju- were justified, uh, well, felt justified in the use of force. Well, the, the question I would have is is that if most, I think the uh, Department of Justice put out statistics I read last week that said that gun deaths in this United States is most likely to happen to a black male between the ages of 17 and 19. That's from the Department no of Justice. No, no 17 and 29. Okay. Yeah, no no that, doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are the most then, likely to die of homicide. Yes, sir, that's true. Then, then they said that it would more likely be from somebody of their own race in an urban Absolutely. area. Okay. Absolutely. No doubt about well, that either. Well, by well, by, by a question. factor of a thousand. Yeah, this is my question to you then, because uh, I mentioned the other race. Why is it that you get one person, uh, I, let's say Trayvon Martin, for instance, white people would say, well, Trayvon was a thug. Black people would say, he's a hero. In other words, I, I hear what you're saying, but this is a lot larger, apparently, than me and you. This, this is... This is a lot larger than my opinion and your opinion because you got a group of people statistically saying this guy's a thug based on race. Look at uh, Michael uh, Well, Brown. actually, um, uh, if you look at Trayvon Martin's background, which I did extensively, including the Miami-Dade School Police District's diversion of his apparent criminal juvenile background, and he apparently under normal circumstances he should have been put in the juvenile system for possession of stolen goods, burglary, burglarized goods, I might add, that were identified in a burglary in Sanford. They were identified as being taken, along with possession of burglary tools in his locker. Say another possession of drug paraphernalia and marijuana, which he had all of that. He was diverted from the program because the school, Miami school, Sanford, I mean, Miami school, uh, uh, Miami-Dade school police district, had a pro- there were so many young black males being arrested, they were trying to get them out of the juvenile system. Trayvon Martin, and rather than do the normal juvenile process they would have, would have done, they diverted him and put him in some kind of program. That's how he wound up at his father's girlfriend's house. That's why he was there, to be under their supervision. That's the reason he was in it. That's why the reason he wasn't going through the system. Had he gone okay. through the system, he might still be alive. Now, if I look at that, I look at the other things on his Facebook page, which I saw, his reference to making purple drink and getting lean and dealing reefer and blunts, and his partner's asking when he's going to be up there to be doing some dealing. The videos of him being in this fight club thing he's doing, where he's refereeing and overseeing fights, stage fights, 
uh, between him and other young men. No, I think he was a thug in the making. And it's not based on race. It's based on his apparent behavior and the things he wrote on his Facebook page, the fact he was involved in several, uh, 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 yes, minor criminal activities, but they were burgeoning. All these things were burgeoning. You could see where this kid was going. Uh, 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 like you say, a statistic. Had nothing to do with his race. Had to do with his conduct. And all this was hidden from the public for the most part. They didn't know about this. But I did, so, and many, anybody who, had, who cared to do due diligence and research could have easily found out. It's all in the public let, record. But they covered it up. This, they didn't want let you to know this, about though. it. Let me ask you they this, though. They want to make this kid some kind, of, some kind of horse vessel martyr like the Nazis yeah. did out of horse yeah. vessel. And he was another thug. He, even if, uh, let me ask you this. Even like with Michael Brown, uh, he supposedly committed a strong-arm robbery prior to the uh, to the actual shooting and killing from Officer Darren Wilson. Does his past give uh, a person justification to take his life without some type of, uh, how can I put it? In other words, that it, 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 based on his past, what you're saying is you agree that he was a thug, but you're not saying that because you feel like he's a thug, it was okay to kill him, right? That's not what you're saying. That's not your No, point, sir, right? because, the, uh, okay. as you well know, okay. uh, the, the uh, Supreme Court decision, Tennessee versus Garner, governs the use of deadly force by a police officer to apprehend a suspect. In other words, to seize him. They ruled it as a Fourth Amendment matter that the police may not use deadly force to apprehend unless the suspect has committed a crime involving the imminent use of, uh, or imminent possibility of death or serious bodily harm, or it's attempting to escape after having committed such a crime, and lesser means are unavailable to stop him. Now, the Supreme Court is a ruling authority on use of deadly force, and every uh, police department in the country has to comply with that. And you know what the use of force continuum is in compliance with that decision by the court. So, no, his past is utterly irrelevant in the decision of a police officer at the moment he pulls the trigger to use deadly force that has no bearing on whether or not deadly force is authorized. Hell, the guy could have no record at all prior to doing what the police officer feels he has to do to protect his life or the life of another. So this record has no bearing on the use of deadly force, zero. But it does go when you're doing the post-mortem to perhaps explain his decisions. That officer, Wilson, may not have known that Michael Brown was a suspect in a strong-arm robbery, but Michael Brown knew, and that may explain his actions toward the officer. You know, it may go somewhere to explaining it. The the physical, we don't. There's not much evidence in the Michael Brown case, but there there are some some physical evidence through the autopsy that they are coming out uh, based on the uh, autopsy that the the, the parents had done. Because I haven't heard anything from the states. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the justice. Yeah, Michael Department. Baden was the yeah. examiner. I read what his re- preliminary findings were. Did it agree with the uh, with what the parents? Uh, oh, that was the preliminary that Tuesday they did, right? It, it is preliminary, and it's not conclusive okay. as of yet. Michael Baden right. did say all the shots appeared to enter from the su- front of the suspect. Suspect uh, could have had his arms up, or he could have been running. Okay. Because if you look well, at the string, of, I looked at the diagram of the autopsy. You look at the string of shots, on, they're all toward the right side of his body. They're all right. in a vertical right. line going right. up. And this is consistent being a, you know, a, a, a firearms instructor. 
and explaining how things happen to officers under stress. Remember, this officer says he had an injury after being struck in the eye. You heard the reports of an orbital uh, blowout fracture of his right eye. Uh, 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 yeah, of his uh, of his left orbit from a punch right. thrown from the guy's right hand. Right. Now, if, if this was, even if it was only enough to close the eye, that, as you well know, getting clocked in the eye can result in blurry vision in both eyes. Right. And if after he ran back, ran away from the officer, and then for whatever reason decided to turn around and attempt to disarm the officer when the officer uh, uh, called upon him to stop, and the officer opened up on him, fearing in his dizziness or in his injury or in whatever was going through his mind, which he will have to justify because all use of force by a police officer has to be justified. If he's shooting, the man is running, you're going to see uh, an injured officer who may be a fairly good marksman, but he's injured, and that is contributing to its inaccuracy. But right. the closer he gets, the less the accuracy matters because, you know, as you well know, you know, you shoot, you know, angles minimize the closer you get to the target. So if his arms are going up and down as he's running, you're going to see that, you know, as fast as you can pull the trigger on a semi-automatic, what, one and a half seconds, you get off four or five, six shots. Two, you know, uh, uh, you can get two shots, two and a half seconds, you get off six shots real easy. The shots go up in a line, and as his head goes down, the last shot enters the top of his head, goes out of his eye. If he charged the officer with his head down, and the officer's shooting at him, and the arrows are going to be left the closer you get to the target. The last shot appears to be the fatal shot. But why? That's are the one we that not? killed him. But why? Are and we that's not all using? consistent with the yeah, officer. The officer's apparent. And I don't know. Well, I've never well, made a final decision well, well, yet. Only no, no, thing no, what is, I mean is why, why are we not using this continuum of force? You know, I was trained to uh, to escalate. Uh, as, a, as a police officer, you escalate. So in other words, if I give you a, a, a command to do something and you don't do it, I don't ask you again. I mace you or I right. tase you or I gas you right. or I baton you or I pull my weapon. Why does it always seem like all of these, ste- these steps are skipped and we go straight to the gun? And, and, because in, in the other use words, of force continuum, that's exactly what you're allowed to do. You will tailor the reaction to the threat. If you know officer presence, no force used, that's the best way to resolve a situation. That's one level of force. That's the lowest level. Then after that, you've got verbalization. Force isn't physical. You're giving commands. That doesn't work. You've got empty hand control. You can use bodily force to gain control of the situation. You tell the, sub, uh, the, uh, the subject, okay, come on, let's go. He says, no, I'm not going anywhere. You tell him repeatedly. What I used to do was give him a countdown. Okay, you got five seconds. At the end of that time, you and me are going to get physical. Come now. And if they don't go, then I attempt to use a uh, come-along type hold or whatever, joint lock, pressure yeah. point, whatever to get them moving. If they resist that, then I'm going to use from the uh, empty hand control. The next level is less lethal technology to gain control. Blunt impact weapon, your ass, your baton, chemical pepper spray, or a taser, like a, what they call a conducted energy device. Right, and if that right. doesn't work, final level is lethal force. But you don't have to respond with the same level of force the suspect does as you well know if he just right. pulls away from you when you try to put a come along or, or after you tell him to move and he doesn't move then you have the legal right and the legal authority to use an impact weapon or open hand strike or close fist strike to gain compliance of course right. at that time you're right. putting them under arrest you tell them they're under arrest 
right. you're going that level. I actually, yeah. if I'm coming along, if I go to the come along level and they're not complying, I'm putting the guy under arrest. And I'm telling him he's so, under arrest. And I'm going to do so whatever level take- of force I got to to get him under control and put him there. So you can skip whatever yeah. levels you got to skip to get to the level you need to affect the arrest or to protect yourself. Right, right, and and hold that thought. I've got I've got to take a quick break, and I got another caller. But hold on just a second. Can you can you hang out just a minute, Sarge? Yes, sir. Absolutely. I'm okay. enjoying this conversation quite. Okay, a bit. okay. Thank you. And um, Erico six seven eight, Makaya, <laughs> Makai. Hang on, I'm going to come to you after the break. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You listen to the Soul of America Radio. I'm Tony Solis, having a few more problems, so we can. To the one and only Soul. If you want to stay connected to the Soul of America Radio, download our free, yes, free mobile app. Go to any store in your smartphone that sells you apps, and you'll get it free. Absolutely 100% free. Matter of fact, not only is it free, but it don't cost anything. Check us out. Keep listening to the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Tony Stalin on Soul. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. I'm going to have to uh, get right into this situation. Um, can you fade that out? Okay, thank you. Uh, welcome back to the Soul of America Radio. I'm Tony Stallings, and you're listening to uh, the Tony Stallings Show. Tonight we've been talking about uh, police aggression, uh, police violence, and uh, uh, the title of the show uh, was actually uh, Police Killings in Black Males, Racial or Race Card. And we have been talking to Sarge. I'm going to have to get another call. I'm going to ask Sarge to hold on because I'm, I'm going to bring him back on. But Sarge is, uh, is, is a retired state police officer, and uh, he brought some interesting topics, uh, interesting conversation to the, to the line. Um, he's, a, he's black, of course, uh, and he says that, um, that his, his, he's saying he's giving it to him from a, a law, law enforcement perspective, in other words. He's saying that it's easy basically for us to, and I agree to that, uh, that analogy, that it's easy for us to say what we would do or what they shouldn't do, but when you get in that situation, when you get your feet in the shoes of a law enforcement officer, you have to make split decisions and sometimes decisions that don't allow for the use 
of the continuum in the order, and the continuum being mace, taser, gas, baton, gun, all of these things that are readily available to most police officers, they have they use it in a continuum of force. And so his viewpoint was that uh, it's not about race, and uh, that uh, he uh, did some extensive research, seemed very knowledgeable into the Trayvon Martin case and Michael Brown, saying that hey, they were uh, Trayvon did have some thuggish uh, ways in his past, but that did not justify the shooting, but that it did, in his mind, play bearing as far as the uh, frame of mind that Trayvon and Michael Brown had. And I'm going to get in a caller, and I said the name wrong. I promise she's, gonna, she's not going to like me. Mecca, are you on the line? Mecca, 678? All right, Mecca, apparently... Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, well, yeah. Welcome. Oh, I'm sorry for the delay. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I was listening. I'm great. I'm great. I was kind of anxious listening. I was really anxious um, as a mother, as uh-huh. a sister, a melanated woman with two sons, the age of 19, one wanting to be an aspiring rapper, and the other just murdered someone. Because my son had to defend his life, leaving his job in South Carolina on his way home last year. And another brother that looked like him approached him when he went into the gas station, uh, attempted to rob my son. But uh, unfortunately, uh, due to a warrior mama that I am, fighting the police in New Jersey uh, to keep my boys out the system. Uh, My son was fortunate to get a licensed gun to carry in the South when we relocated here a couple of years ago. So my son had to defend himself. When the brother pulled out the gun on my child, my son, the boy didn't know my son had his licensed gun in his car. And he blew his butt away, and he died six months after my son shot him. And then from the shooting of this boy dying, uh, my son, the retaliation was on my child, and my son was shot five times uh, as a retaliation to the boy dying. My son is still alive and well by the grace of my prayers and my strength and the ancestors uh, protecting my children. And I listened to the sergeant speak. And as police officers and retiring police officers, when y'all wake up in the morning and y'all look in the mirror, y'all see a melanated man before y'all see y'all jobs, before y'all see Anything other than what y'all was taught in the police academy. Okay? When I listened to the Trayvon case, all that went on with the Trayvon case. See, I go to the Internet and I channel the information after the fact because I don't want to poison my bond with all that come on the American news, which is death, guns, violence rapes the programming of our people is real the systems in america 
has not changed since the Jim Crow laws. The judicial system, the penal system, the codes have been replaced from the Jim Crow Code now to the Judicial Code, from the Slavery Code now to the Judicial Code. It's a business. They got to fill up the prisons with our young black men. The attack is on our black men. What y'all going to do about it? Since you're retired, what you going to do about what's going on in our communities? These babies need love. These young black men want to be loved. They need and, y'all to right, reach right. out and, to them. Their daddies right. is locked up. Their right. daddies is locked up. Seventy percent of our brothers are incarcerated for petty crimes that they're doing ten and twenty years for marijuana, dumb stuff. This is racism. You talking about it ain't about race? It is about race. And then I listened last night for the first time on YouTube to the Michael Brown for the first time. And he was murdered, what, August 3rd, August 6th, and I just went on the Internet, and I listened for the first time. I watched the two-hour funeral, and then I listened to all of the witnesses, even the boy that was with him when they left the store. The media programs us and turns us against our own, set the image of that white is superior, that black is ugly. No, 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 no. I'm a mama, okay? I'm a mother. And I had a program up in New Jersey, okay? And because I was concerned with the parents, with the student, with the community, and the crime in Jersey City, New Jersey, okay? So my first program, I had 23 parents come out to my program when that, the year prior, the whole year, only 21 parents came out. And the state came to sit down. All the Europeans came to sit down with me to ask me what did I do to get the parents to come out to my meetings. I said, because I care. Because when I look in the mirror, I see a a melanated sister in the mirror. So I reached out to the parents. I went to some of the elder parents, the grandmothers that was raising their children because their their daughters was on drugs, raising their grandchildren. So I would go to their houses and pick them up. I would do rounds, and I would pick them up and bring them to the meetings. Okay? So my question to the sergeant, what are you going to do? to make a difference in your neighborhood or in somebody's neighborhood to help the youth that are lost, right. well, well, that need guidance. Let, let, let's give him a chance to respond to that. And before that, let me read something to you, Mecca. In Oakland, California, the NAACP reported that out of 45 officer-involved shootings in the city between 2004 and 2008, 38 of those shot were black, none were white. One-third of the shootings resulted in fatalities, although weapons were not found in 40% of the cases. Now, the NAACP is reporting this. They found no officers were charged. And these numbers didn't include the 22-year-old Oscar Grant who was shot. But those are interesting statistics, I thought, that sort of um, allude to the fact that race is an issue. Sarge, what what do you do, Sarge? You, you got the experience. You retired. And Mecca saying she's a mom. She's hurting. What What can you do? to help this out, to, to, to sort of help this situation out? Or, or why is it about race, not about race to you? Well, I actually, my, my specific uh, commentary was to the effect that the use, uh, officer's decision to use deadly force does not appear in the overwhelming majority of instances where it is used 
to involve race. I said in an overwhelming majority of them, it appears not to be the case. Um, uh, now, now, look, I cannot read every police officer's mind, and I don't know. I know there are bigoted, prejudiced, and racist police officers. So if you're going to tell me that uh, there are none, I can say that's not true either. Any more right. than is that all cops want to do is start out in the morning, find a black man, a large black man, and shoot, and shoot him dead. That's not true either. But to answer Mecca's question, she impinged on it slightly. But I want to go directly to the heart of it. What would I do and what do I think I try to do to create and correct this problem in the black community? It is the elephant in the room. It's staring at us as large as a neon sign screaming for attention, and that is this. And nothing is more important than doing this, not electing more black officials, not getting more black police chiefs, not getting more black officers on the police department. None of that is important is what I'm about to say. Getting the black father back in the house and making a two-parent family. I'm old enough to have grown up during a time when most of my friends, and we lived in a poor neighborhood on the west side of Chicago, most of my friends had their fathers in the house. There were very few who didn't. The ones that didn't was because they were divorced and or daddy had died or something like that. That's why. Everybody else that I knew, their fathers were in the house and they were raised. Everywhere I looked in my neighborhood, my immediate role models were black men. The immediate ones who were my role models who I looked at and said, these are guys I admire and would like to be like. They were World War II veterans. They were raising families. They had jobs. They were proud, strong black men. When I caught my little thuggish behind doing something stupid and thuggish, they put me in check, corrected me on the spot. And if they didn't, and even if they did, they'd call, they'd call my daddy or go by my dad's house and tell him what they caught me doing. And then my dad would put me in check. So this is, what I, this is my experience growing up. And when I became a cop, it was almost the exact opposite. Daddy ain't nowhere in the black community. The people you lock up in almost every instance brought up without a father in the house. Young black men with all that testosterone running in their veins and no role models keep them in check on a regular basis, except the police. So, so, so you're that's looking it. at it from. You're so that's what it, I do to correct the problem. Right. So you're looking at it from the side of the uh, of the of the victims. In other words, in other words, you're saying that the community needs to. Uh, 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 they need to develop more fatherly figures within the community, and that would help some of these what, shootings is what you're saying. What, what we what need to do as a society is to rid ourselves of all these incentives to single motherhood that developed in the last 50 years. There's not any time in the history of the United States and black people living here that we have had 80% of our children, and I'm, talking, I'm including slavery. I'm including slavery because I've read the studies there too. There's not a single time in the history of the United States where 70% or so of black children were living without a father and being raised by their father. Never. Not during okay. slavery, okay. not during yeah. the Great Depression, not during World War I or World War II at any time in the history of the United okay. States. Not during the okay. worst of Jim Crow. Has this ever happened yeah. before? Why the yeah. welfare state created it, sir, the welfare state? Yeah, hang on, hang on just a second. Time is working against me. And hold on, Mecca, I'm going to get you back. Let me get uh, Eric Code 202 in on it. Uh, Eric Code 202, are you uh, with me? You hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. How you doing? All right, how you doing? So, yeah, I was going to echo with them. Yeah, go ahead, man. You, I, I, you, I, have you, I know you've listened to most of the conversation, and so what are you bringing to the table? What, what do you want to say about this? Well, I, I too, also grew up. You know, with a dad and home, and my, you know, 
Pop Pop was like the cop. He was like Hitler, man. Mussolini. He ran the house. <laughs> right. And he controlled he controlled everything, man. He controlled what my sister wore and, and uh he controlled when I was leaving when I was supposed to come home and, and he was there and his presence was felt. Either either you did it his way or you had to, you had to get out the house. I mean that's just uh, he put you out. He didn't play around. And I think that's what we need. We we need black fathers in the home. And I think if we did, a lot of these problems would go away. What we're seeing out here now, they just wouldn't. For one thing, you wouldn't be out hanging around after eight o'clock at night. I mean, when the lights when the lights went on, you had to be home. For I mean, so you you couldn't even be outside. You know, that's just so. I think the problem we have is uh, is uh, the breakdown of families. And I, I put it on women most of it. I'd say eighty percent it's women because. Black women are refusing to formulate families. They want their own this independent woman stuff, and uh, and that's what's just, is destroying us. It's going to bring down society. That's what's happening. Society's falling apart. You know. So, so do you see do you see a racial barrier with these shootings that make that are high profile? Do you do you recognize that most people that are not of color feel one way, and most people that are of color feel another way? Do you do you recognize that? Do you see that, like with Michael Brown, with Trayvon Martin? Have you have you noticed that pattern? I do because because I mean, white folks understand, man. If, you know, these kids are out of control. You know, you know, everybody sees the problem in the black community except us. For some reason, we can't see it, but everyone else knows what the problem is. It's the breakdown of families. There's no fathers in the homes. That's the problem. All right, it's not race. I mean. Look, we, I, I have a 20-year-old son myself, man, and uh, so I'm I'm in touch with all the shootings and all. But I think a lot of stuff can be preventable, you know, just by learning how to talk to cops, showing them some damn respect, and just get, get, not having yourself in these situations where you're getting shot at and, and shot. I think a lot of stuff can be avoidable, you know. That's just my take on it. As a 49-year-old black man, I just think. We have yeah. to be smarter how we how how we how, how we conduct ourselves. My father told me how to talk to cops. He he he, right. he stressed that shit when I was a little kid, telling me how to deal with people, how to deal with cops, how how to deal with authorities. And now kids, they don't show cops no respect, and these cops are just treating like animals because they're acting like animals. You know, that's just that's the way it is. If you if you come up with cops with a little bit of respect. You know, a little courtesy, you dress in a right. certain way. Right. They're, they're probably going to talk to you half-assed decent. If you come at them all, you know, you're dressed, pants hanging off your ass, a do-rag on, and you're not giving them any respect, well, they, they see you sort of animalistic. That's just how I see it, you know. Right. Well, I, I, I certainly appreciate your call and your input, and uh, stay tuned. Don't don't hang up. Um, Mecca, are you still there? I am. All, what do you all think about cultures. That? All cultures have issues, okay? We got to go deeper into just the fathers not being in the home and sisters wanting to be independent, okay? We're not putting guns in our communities. We're not putting drugs in our community. There's a lot of undiagnosed sicknesses and illness running rampant in our brains, in our community that's not being taken care of, that's not taken care of by proper diet and proper exercise and proper water, okay? Our food is being poisoned. Our air is being poisoned, okay? We're not doing this, okay? We're being hit so many damn ways as a people. 
Okay, are y'all aware of Mafia 21, how eugenics came into play? Everybody in America didn't come from slavery. Y'all have to go back, and y'all have to study the history, the history of America, okay? It's deeper than the fathers not being in the home. It's deeper than race, okay? There's only one human race, really, if you really want to think about about it. There's only one race, the human race, but there's many cultures. And according to the Trayvon uh, situation, the Europeans that found them not guilty agreed with them because they understood them because they're one of him. Those people stick together. No matter what, if that man was guilty with killing Trayvon, they still stuck behind their people. But Why don't we stick behind our own youth? You cannot sit here and tell me on this phone tonight, officers, and what I saw and what I heard and what all these witnesses are saying about the Michael Brown case, that Michael Brown did anything to that police officer. Everybody said that that boy was tugging away from the cop and ran and was shot, and the police shot him in the head. And it disturbed me to listen on the phone for you, Sarge, from Chicago, to, to take that, sound like you was taking that officer's side, and it was pissing me off. And I'm going to keep it real with you. It was pissing me off what you were saying about the case, because every time you wake up in the morning, you don't see a cop. You see a black man in America. And Oprah showed us that when she went to England and tried to buy a pocketbook and they show and they ain't even know who the hell Oprah Winfrey oh. was and she'll let you know. Don't ever forget who you are and where you come from. I know you well, got a cold blue to, to protect. I know y'all are officers and y'all have to protect y'all own, but I don't give a damn. If y'all right. don't help these youths, we're going to lose our race. And then what y'all going to say then when they come and exterminate all our asses because they got drones. I, oh, I do my research. Oh. I know what's out there. I know they got 10,000 troops from Russia in America, and they're going right. to take y'all out before they take us right. out because y'all the ones that, 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 excuse me? No, I, I was saying we're getting a little long time, and I was going to let Sarge respond to that because, um, uh, you know. He, yeah, because I'll be saying, going on because, you know what, yeah, I watched right. this for the first time last night, and it's right, just, right. I cried all night long watching over and over again oh. how the damn CNN well, news, the propaganda and everything, and sat there and lied and said, that baby, that baby ain't had no reason to go in no damn store and steal a damn thing. Look how intelligent his stepmama spoke. Look how beautiful his mother looked. And his daddy looked on national television, and when they speak, they're not illiterate. That baby ain't well, had to want for well, nothing. Well, well, Why well, he well, go well, in the store and steal some damn right, cigarellas? Right. Where's yeah, the police yeah. report? Hold on a second. Where's the Sarge, police report? Sarge, a lot of people, hold on a second, Mecca. Sarge, a lot of people in the communities uh, really kind of mirror what she's saying. How how would you respond to that? Well, like I said, you know, I hear the passion in the lady's voice, and I can understand and appreciate it. I understand why she's that way. I mean, I, look, the way the racial industrial complex is aggrieved, particularly Trayvon Martin's situation, now this Mike Brown thing, I'm not a bit surprised. But I've got 285 megabytes of data on the Trayvon Martin case. I got every scintilla I could get that was available on the public record, including reports by the Sanford Police Department, the autopsy reports available, the court transcripts, the evidence that the defense wanted to introduce in the trial was not allowed to by the trial judge, all of it. All of it. I look at everything I could. Together. Case, they stick together. They stick together. Why case, we don't everything. stick together? And let me Why say, I don't care about sticking together. 
I'm never joining a lynch mob, ever. I don't care if it's my people or white people. I'm not joining a lynch mob just to have racial solidarity. I'm going to go with the evidence and where the truth leads me. I don't care who doesn't like it. And I'm telling you right now, as far as I can see from my extraordinary research in this case, and I will debate anybody. I debated a Washington, D.C. police chief on this once, the Trayvon Martin case. Not only was George Zimmerman's case legal and lawful, but he had a moral right to use deadly force against Trayvon Martin. A moral right. He did so nothing he, wrong under the law so, so or he, morally. So, so. And in the case of Mike Brown, it would appear. And I, again, so, so I have not let, come let, to let a final sure decision you. on that. Hold, hold on, Sarge. Let me make sure I understand you. I just want to make sure I understand you. So when he, when, when George Martin, and I don't really want to get into the facts, but when he presumed. Zimmerman, Zimmerman, that's right. Thank you. Thank you so much. When he pursued Trayvon Martin, <laughs> you're saying that that was legal. He he had a right to pursue him and, and, and get him to the point where the oh, shooting He absolutely happened. had a right to follow him on a public street to point him out for what he believed was a burglary suspect. That's why. But the police remember told what that the man not to said. follow that now, boy. Wait a minute. Remember what the dispatcher, the dispatcher said, we don't need for you to do that. And what was his response? It's right there in the transcript. Okay. He turned around. His GPS coordinates on his telephone show this. They wouldn't allow it to be introduced in a trial. He turned around and go back to his pickup truck to await the arrival of the Sanford PD that he had summoned so he could point out to him the last place he lost contact with him. Two and a half minutes after that. Remember, the place where he said he lost contact with Trayvon, the point where his GPS coordinate showed, and the place that he was agreeing with the dispatcher to not follow him any further was 200 yards from the back entrance to uh, 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 his father's girlfriend's house. Now, how long does it take a fit young man to go 200 yards walking at a brisk pace, not even jogging? It doesn't take anything. It was two and a half minutes. Right. Right. He hold, hold turned around to go hold. back to attack Zimmerman. Yeah, hold on just a second, Sarge. We we got about a couple of minutes, and I wanted to get one more call in. Erico 334, you're on the Soul of Mac Radio. Is that me? You, you, that's you. Go out of here. What's your comment? <laughs> it's Angela Benjamin. How are y'all? Oh, fine. How you doing, Angela? What's going on? I, I'm doing well. I... I'm coming in very late, very, very late on the conversation. I've, uh-huh. I've heard um, just the ending of everybody's conversation. And let me just um, say this, because I, I, I hear emotions and a lot of these things. I really don't care how many megabytes somebody has about the Zimmerman case or how much data has been collected in the Zimmerman case. He had no more right to shoot this guy down like a dog. He should have stayed in his place and not played renegade cop. He had no authority as a neighborhood watch program to do as he did. Yes, Trayvon lost him. The boy was scared. Yes, they told him to stop pursuing him, and he kept going. How do we know he, he kept didn't. going? Because he said he would keep going. He kept searching for the guy, and if he did turn around, he turned around to get this guy off of him. Now, if I'm I'm trying to get away from you and you keep following me, we have an issue. We have a problem. First of all, I'm scared because you're following me. 
why are you following me? You have no good reason to be following me in my mind because I just bought Skittles and tea. And so we have an issue right there because you are following me, which you should have stayed at your vehicle. You know, Saw, she, she, she's got a good point. In other words, Zimmerman never identified himself. He just followed him from a distance. And anybody in their reasonable mind might be a little fearful, wouldn't you think? Well, first of all, George Zimmerman was trained by the Sanford Police Department. If you recall the city manager, Napoleon Harris, he explained that the Sanford Police Department trained Zimmerman to be a watch captain. They did have Never authority to do so. Captain Wait a minute, let me finish. Let me finish, ma'am. Now you, you got your point. Go ahead, let me go ahead, answer go you. Let me answer go you now. He was trained by the Sanford Police Department in surveillance techniques. And by the way, two of his sightings led to arrests and convictions of suspects, one of whom, fitting the description of Trayvon Martin, had been identified in a string of burglaries in that gated community. This kid fit the description. His actions were consistent with a burglary suspect case in a joint. And remember, the kid was found with burglarized possessions in his school locker by a a Sanford school police district officer who wrote a report preparing to get him to enter the juvenile program possession of stolen property. He was diverted from that program. He was diverted. Now, now again, George Zimmerman broke off the pursuit. He broke it off. He went back to his truck. His police, the coordinates of his telephone, verify that fact, and after, now if the kid is scared of this guy, what would he go back to the truck for when he's only 200 yards from the back door of his house, and it didn't take okay. you two and a half minutes to walk 200 yards? Because you're okay. going to fight or you're going to have flight. You fight or flight. And all this stuff that you're talking about at school and all this stuff has nothing to do with the incident that particular night. Where Zimmerman, who was a neighborhood watch, I don't care who trained him, had no authority at all to do what he was doing, and that's why they tried to stop him. And that's why the lady admonished him, sir, we do not need you to do that, sir. She admonished him to quit it, and he kept moving. Well, and I appreciate that. Angela, I'm I'm up against time. Thank you for, for calling, and Sarge and Mecca, we had about five or six more that wanted to comment, but I only got a minute left. Uh, thank you so much. I think you all brought something to the table. Um, I think uh, the passion of of, of Mecca really uh, showed us that there are people out there that's actually involved in going through it, and that actually feel like there should be a change somewhere outside of the community, in, maybe in policing and maybe in the training. And then um, I I definitely, Sarge, I appreciate your comments. I, I, I was hoping to get somebody from a law enforcement perspective. You certainly seem to have done a lot of homework on this. And uh, call in again sometimes. We'll be doing another show perhaps Tuesday or Sunday. Uh, uh, check out. Uh, 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 Tony Stallings' Facebook page, or just uh, however you found it before come back. Angela, thank you so much. As, like I said, we always need somebody to top the show off with some intelligence. Thank you so much for uh, your call, and you keep coming back too. We got about 20 seconds, and you know, I always got to say if the fat lady has sung, 
if the lights are out in the stadium and it looks like you've lost and things are hopeless, if God has told you that you've won, then you need to go ahead and keep Thank you very much for listening to the Soul of America Radio, and we'll talk again.